Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey guys, it's Candice and Kayla, and we are directionally challenged. Yeah, we thought we would have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s. But surprise, we don't. No, we don't. (laughs) We definitely don't, but that is okay. (laughs) And we are here with each other to remind each other of that. We have such a wonderful guest. I There are a few times when someone from our childhood can come on and share such wonderful advice. And I truly love our guest today so much. And it means so much to me that he came on and had this conversation with us. Candace and I were speaking off mic about how we've had some industry episodes and we were so excited to just sit down with Gabe Sachs and discuss his journey into the industry because it is so unconventional. And the more we talk about this, I'm realizing each person's journey is so different into becoming an artist and a creative. So Gabe Sachs and I met on my very first job, a show called Freaks and Geeks that was on NBC back in 1999. That is how long I've been in this industry and doing this. Um, He not only was a mentor to me back then, he continues to be today. For those of you who don't know Gabe Sachs, uh, you will after this. He is an American television producer who 
has a number of primetime TV shows and movies we all grew up watching, including Freaks and Geeks, Just Shoot Me, Undeclared, Life as We Know It, 90210, The Night Shift, I Could Go On Forever. He is half of Sax Judah, and they wrote hit movies, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Roderick Rules, and also so many more. He's also a dear friend of mine. I am so honored to introduce the incredibly talented Gabe Sachs. And we are here with Gabe Sachs. Gabe, we are so excited that you are finally on our podcast. (laughs) I'm very excited about it. This will be fun. So in order to get the full picture, we want to take our listeners back to the very beginning. And you knew you always wanted to be in this business, but how you ended up in it is a really unconventional story, and I love it. Uh, tell our listeners how you developed Street Match and how it became a pilot. Well, uh, just to go back from that, just I was the kid that for no reason, I had no connections in the business at all. Parents were doctors, and I would make sets out of shoe boxes and Christmas lights. So I was that kid. I was just very... Uh, I knew I wanted to do it. I just didn't know how it was going to happen. So I went to uh, USC film school. I got out. Um, I did anything I could. I would direct music videos for $50. I would do anything possible. And I just was watching TV and I wanted to make a documentary. And it was sort of, what if that show um, Love Connection met the show Cops? as bizarre as that would be. (laughs) So what would that be? And it was really because my dear friend, uh, Ricky Paul Golden, who was a big soap opera star, and he would go into any social situation and have no problem meeting someone. It just was his thing. He was able to do it. And you would hope he would introduce you to someone because we were so, you know, awkward and not prepared to meet anyone. So, uh, I went home and I said, oh, what an interesting show. What if Ricky could do that in the real world? Like, what if we, you know, we we always go down the street and you'd see someone you're attracted to, but you wouldn't necessarily go up to them and say, hi, how are you? And, but what if Ricky was there and Ricky could, you know, he was so comfortable, he could introduce people. So I came up with this show called Street Match and I had no money and I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I called Ricky and I said, look, let's. I would love to do this. Would you help me out? And and he had some great ideas as well. And so the, the issue was, is it going to work? How are we going to get equipment? How are we going to get insurance? How are we going to get people to help us? This went on and on. And how old are you at this point? I was probably 22. Right. Okay. Just so somewhere our listeners get the... There, yeah. Okay. Somewhere. I mean, just even thinking of the idea and then sort of years went on and 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 it was sort of thinking about it like how how is this going to happen and i did some other jobs and so and so i saved up a little bit of money over the years to do, actually put this thing into motion and it was um two thousand dollars and that was my budget and so i had to figure out how to do it so i called all my friends in new york and i said can you help me with this and they said absolutely um i said sometimes you're just going to carry equipment on and on and I went to companies and said, look, I have this idea. It's Cops Meets Love Connection. It's Ricky's going to fix people up. It was, I was so enthusiastic about it. And every company just stared at me. They just thought, what? 
what have you done before? No, I've done nothing. I've done absolutely nothing. <laughs> but I want you gotten to put lots up, of copies got for gold. other people. Yeah, <laughs> right. But this is right. gold. This is it. And I need you to. I do. I, I you know any equipment you could give me on. So no, 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 no. So it was lots and lots of no's, and finally went to one company and I just, the desperation of it, I just, I basically was in there so used to getting a no, I just said, okay, look, your equipment's just sitting there. Okay. It's doing nothing. Okay. Just think if this actually works, I could rent the equipment and I, whatever it was, they said, we're going to do that and we'll give you the insurance. And so I was flipping out. I said, okay, great. Oh my gosh. I've got cameras. Now we had to get post-production. No, 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 no. My friend, Noel Tersh, is a producer, um, did commercials, and we went to his post-production house um, called Dennis Hayes and & Associates. And they did huge commercials, and I did my whole speech and song and dance, and they had no hesitation at all. They were said, we'll treat it like a show, we'll do it, we'd love you to use this if it goes forward, but you're not obligated to pay us back or anything, so you can use it. So now I had... Uh, everything. And now we just had to shoot it. So the idea was go on the street with Ricky, find someone, introduce them to someone else, fix them up. I would go to each of their apartments and ask questions. And then hopefully it's a disaster. And uh, there's a kind of a ridiculous ending or you'd get and you'd actually see the date. So we did it and it somehow worked. And we had we were so excited about doing it and putting together a show that now I had to figure out music, like who's going to do music. And um, Mark Mothersbaugh was in the studio doing something else. And he saw it. He said, what's that? And I showed it to him. And he goes, I would love to do the music. I said, when I mean I have no money, I have no money. <laughs> like, I don't hear I don't have like, oh, a few thousand dollars. I have right. no money to pay you. <laughs> And he like, said, do you I, accept Twizzlers? There is some candy here, but yeah. I don't know. Um, and so he said, yeah, he said, I'll do it. So it was sort of in the situation where we, we, we put this thing together. We were very, very excited about it. Um, I had a manager that had three people basically, you know, and we were all sort of in the in the same boat, you know, not doing much. Um, I think one was really, you know, on their way to being successful. And so um, I we just decided to go shoot something else. Let's go shoot another idea. And then um, he took this tape because it was, you know, I'm sure the quality was terrible. Uh, it's a like solid this video. VHS. <laughs> right, right. I'm sure it was a copy of VHS. And... <laughs> He sent it around and he called me and said, uh, you've got to get back here because, you know, uh, ABC wants to meet with you. And I'm going, I, it doesn't mean anything to me because I don't know who any of the people are. So I'm just excited that someone from ABC and an executive called me in and I'm sitting there very nervous. And she goes, I love this. This would be a great 10 minute segment that we're doing with HBO. So now it's like, the clouds part i'm hearing <laughs> like i guess oh my gosh i'm gonna be on a network i'm gonna have 10 minutes on the network this is my dream and that's it i never have to do anything again even this goes away <laughs> i could just this is all i want 10 minutes i'm able to shoot this thing and i was so excited and so 
I leave and I had just bought this really, I needed a car. And I think I bought this clunker of a car for $900. And because I thought I was going to restore it. Um, I know nothing about cars and know nothing about restoring them. So it was ridiculous uh, all around. And I'm, I remember the moment it, I was in North Hollywood at some repair shop looking through old used um, seatbelts because the car didn't have seatbelts. <laughs> and I got the call from my manager and he said, you have to go back to ABC. And I'm like, okay. And then I go, oh, are they going to tell me no? Like, I didn't know how it worked. I go, mm-hmm. they're going to say no. We didn't really mean to tell you that. So I go there and I'm in this huge, beautiful office and it's got foosball and it's got all the, I'm going, this is crazy. Who has an office with foosball? And <laughs> Probably bigger cool than your stuff. apartment at the time. Oh yeah. Oh, it was way bigger than my apartment. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and there's all these chairs sort of in a semicircle and all these people come in and they sit there and they go, could you tell us how you did this? And I said, well, I got my friends and I, and I did this whole thing. And and they said, we really like it. And all we want to know is, is, can you tell us what the budget would be? And so now I'm going, this is my moment. I'm going to say a number that's either, that's probably going to be too high. And then I have to quickly <laughs> be able to recover and say a, a lower number. Like that's got to be the key. So I'm, I'm waiting and waiting. They, they go, so how much would it be? And I, and I knew budgets, so I knew how to do it, how to make the show. And I said, $150,000 an episode, hysterical laughter. Like they couldn't stop laughing. And then I'm going, oh my gosh, I better say 70. Like I better like correct this quickly. I'm laughing and laughing and laughing. And they go, great. T- terrific. So they go, here's what we're going to do. If you don't go to Fox, we'll guarantee you uh, six primetime episodes before Home Improvement. And tool time Taylor, tool time Taylor, and I didn't understand that. Like I was just like, at first I was like, "Oh, TV is not so hard." Like in my head, I'm like, <laughs> I just walked in and they offered me a prime time show. Um, and then I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is this is incredible." And they said, "Do you need anything else?" And I said, "You know what I'd love." And I said, "I'm not, you know, if you say no, it's fine." But there were so many people that volunteered to make this pilot that I would love to pay them. And they were like, absolutely. And they literally wrote me checks. And I went back to New York with a stack of checks and handed them out. And everyone didn't want them. They said, no, no, no. And I hired all those people to do the series. And then it was, I mean, we, we, we made this little show. It was a backdoor pilot. It had never, ABC had never spent that little on a show. (laughs) And, uh, you know, they were saying to me, you know, the executives after I left that meeting say, ask for $300,000, ask for three fifty, And I'm like, no, I'm going to show them. Like, what am I doing? Like, now I'm like, why didn't I just ask for more money? But this is and- what I love so much about you is instead of asking for money for yourself, you asked for money for all the people, all the favors that everyone pulled for you. And you went back and physically handed them the checks. Oh, that was the best feeling ever. But it that's was, who you are. It was just that kind of... Um, just the fact that they'd believe in me, I really had zero connections. And it was every single person said, don't do it. It never happens. It will never happen. They'll never pick up a backdoor pilot. You made it yourself. You have zero experience other than, you know, what you do, you know, music videos and docs and things like that. But 
it was never going to happen. And I think that that's sort of been the path along the way um, is just taking these chances, especially when everyone says no. Is that what also led you to a show like Freaks and Geeks? I mean, talk about a series that took chances when so many people were saying no. I think that what happened was we were sort of from that, I mean, from from Street Match, all of a sudden people were asking me if I'd like deals and things like that, which I didn't understand at all. Like, you know, so I had you know someone to figure that out. And, and you know, do you want to be at this place and this place and this place? And and I finally uh, landed at Universal, which is sort of the most exciting thing ever. And, you know, it was, it was, you know, my name was on the tour. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, I got to put my parents on the, on the, on the tram so they could see my name. So they actually thought I had a job because they didn't understand what I was doing. <laughs> I like in the in parking, the, the parking. Oh, like, yeah. 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 They didn't, they big. hadn't. They had no idea. They were like, what? Like, what are you doing? Well, I do yeah. want to ask what kind of, I know this is a s- slight sidebar. What kind of uh, doctors are your parents? I'm a doctor's child too. My dad's a heart surgeon. My parents were, my parent, my dad was an endocrinologist and he was one of the first people to study the effects of cholesterol on the heart. Wow. And my mom was a, actually my mom was um therapist and psychologist. And Gabe's parents lived down the street from my parents in Which Long Beach. Which was crazy, yeah. So we grew up in the same neighborhood and um, we only found that out on the set just in passing. Um, yeah. And we have a love for Long Beach. Obviously, we're both from Yay. there. Yeah. That's um, wild. Were they supportive? Like coming from such an academic background? Uh, first of all, okay. <laughs> Let me go back a little bit. So I grew up playing the drums, okay? And I took a year off school to be a rock star, mm-hmm. okay? In my head. Like I was going to, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to. And so I was in a, in a band. It was a really, really good band. We got a lot of <laughs> offers. The head of the band, it was a three-piece band, and this guy didn't like America or Americans. It was really like a Monty Python sketch. Mm-hmm. And so we would get offered something and he would, you know, oh, I hate America. It was just not, you know, I was not just good for long term, not good long, for long term yeah. rock stardom. <laughs> and so, um, so I played the drums, played them, and I called my parents and I said, "Look, if there's some miracle and I can get into a film school, would you help me out with that?" And you can just hear them go, "Yes." Like they were like, School? oh my gosh, get so off the drums. <laughs> please, please. Then, play. This is a side note, but did you practice your drum set at home? Did they hear you practice your drum, oh, your drumming oh, every yeah. day? So at- did all the all the neighbors. Yeah. Right. Our, our, my high school bands would practice in the garage. Yeah. So they were um they were very, very supportive. And I think when they finally came to Freaks and Geeks, they sort of understand that i had a job and i was able to pay my rent and and all that stuff but the the way that got there was the same thing where my writing producing partner is jeff judah we had done a show in new york and i had hired him and then he came out to la and we wrote a script in three days Mm -hmm. that was just sort of our sense of humor and we said this is what we want to do let's just keep writing stuff we like original stuff and by that time we had agents and they said you have to write a spec script. So write a script, your version of, of an existing show. 
Were you writing in film school or was this just yeah. something? Yeah, okay, right, so writing, you, you writing and the... directing. Yeah. Okay. But I, I didn't, you know, we, we just didn't have any, there, there was no connections. And I guess these agents, you know, it was very exciting that they were going to help us. But we thought, how do we do it our own way? Let's write original stuff. And they were going to, no, you, you have to write, you know, a spec script. So we were very frustrated. So we loved the show Just Shoot Me at the time. So we decide, decided to write the, the most inappropriate, filthy <laughs> script ever that would never make it on the air. But that was our version. That was us saying, okay, you want us to write a spec script? Well, watch, watch this. Right. And that script got us everything. So we had these originals, but, you know, every network, we had meetings with every network for this inappropriate script. They just, they loved the writing. And uh, do you think it was that, also shock value, Gabe? Probably. That people weren't expecting probably. someone I mean, to be bold enough? it wasn't crazy today's standards. It was just sort right. of like, you know, <laughs> But ridiculous. at that point, <laughs> it's one of the peak shows and you guys have um, the wherewithal to, you know, go against the grain and write sort of your own version of it instead of trying to conform to what it was at that point. Right. But at the same time, people were saying, including some people at our agency, don't do that. <laughs> it was very much like, no, this is not a good idea. Mm -hmm. And then... Jeff's agent at the time, Betsy Health in New York at William Morris, she got our scripts to someone and we get a call from this person and it's Judd Apatow. And Judd says, we're going to work together forever. Like, it was just crazy. It was just like, you know, whether, whether he meant it or not, it was the nicest thing ever. At that time, Judd was like the writer to know that we didn't know. It was just, you know, he wasn't as famous as he is now, but it was like, Oh my gosh, who is this person? And he said, I want you to work on this uh, project, Sick in the Head. And that was the one right before, it was shooting at the same time as the pilot of Freaks and Geeks. And um, was David Crumholtz and Kevin Corrigan. I mean, it was just such a fun project. And so we wrote a few of those scripts. And then when Freaks and Geeks came along, it was Paul Feig, who I knew, and, and Judd, and they hired us to do the show and it was we were shocked like we were just shocked now we're on staff of a show that we really are excited about mm. and um and it was just the idea of making mini movies and so we we really learned from just you know making these little shows and working in a different way than we had worked before we had worked a little bit on another sitcom and but this was you know a whole different world Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good. Because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now, I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae, and they are both so (laughs) delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix. My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGED right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier effortlessly. 
we're back. I think it's really important. I don't want to step over the fact that you found your partner in crime through all Mm -hmm. of this. And then everything just started to fall into place. I think it's so important in life to find and surround ourselves with the people that make us better, that complete us. And you two separately could absolutely have done a fantastic job, but you knew that together it was such a wonderful combination. I know I want our listeners to to kind of get get a perspective on the whole thing. And um, so I want to ask, how did you know that you two would form this right partnership and that this was what it was supposed to be? Well, we had the exact same sensibility as in comedy and what we liked and movies that we liked and things like that. We couldn't have been more opposite. I mean, in every other aspect. We grew up completely different. I mean, we're just a whole different world. And we are exact opposites. And that's what makes it work. And I think that uh, we haven't had a fight in 20-something years. And it's always like, if we don't agree on something, we'll throw it out and try something else, make it better. Mm. And that's something that... Um, we just knew early on, just especially seeing other teams, you know, not stay together or, or go their separate ways. And um, we just knew what we liked and it sort of became a shorthand. And um, it's, I don't know how you do a show now with one person. Like it's mm-hmm. so, I don't know how I would do it. I can't be in the room and be on the set. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really valuable. Jeff loves writing. He loves being in the room and running the room. And uh, I'm, on the set and I'll have, I'll have fresh eyes for scripts and things like that. So, um, it's worked out and finding him was really, it was, you know, it was hiring him. It was literally hiring him. And then, and then he and his wife moved out to LA and they stayed at my house and that was it. Well, it sounds like there were so many rules that were being presented to you at the time. Like, no, you can't, like, we don't want you to make this, um, like pilot presentation. No, you, you're not going to get accepted with the backdoor pilot. Like, no, you can't do this. Just shoot me spec script, you know, and, and yet you leaned into those choices. Was it a conscious decision? Was it youth on your side? You know, looking back now, what do you think was that, um, little voice or that push? I don't, I think it was just, we're just doing it. Maybe it was like, I, maybe we didn't know enough. Like, I yeah. think I'm, I think we're more cautious now, right. like knowing everything that we know. And I think that I, we didn't know better and we just wanted to do it as we would do it. And I think that's what the atmosphere of Freaks and Geeks was. It was a very different um, set in the best way possible for us to sort of, you know, understand everything. Well, speaking of Freaks and Geeks, obviously I'm biased and think it's one of the best shows. You might be biased too. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are as well because they know that we are here with you today. Um, It's such a show that was before its time and it's now 20 years later. Everyone still talks about it. Can you take us through the experience of making a show like that? I know you and I have talked off the mic many times about how so many episodes are based on people's real life experiences and such like that. So take us back. So we get there. And the first thing that happens is Paul and Judd give us a 25 question questionnaire. And it's all really personal stuff. It's about our high school, our relationships, our families and 
they want us not to hold back, to really just say everything that happened. And 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 we were like, so Jeff and I looked at each other and go, who cares? It's just going to be Paul and Judd reading it. And so the next day, we get to work and Paul and Judd have stapled them all together from all the eight writers. And now we know everything about everyone. Wow. So now, you know, it's fan. It, the truth is, it was fantastic because every one of those stories that we told in Freak City comes from something, you know, a piece of reality or reality. And that was amazing. And the first story that we broke was Jeff's real life story about his dad. And that was the garage door one where his, you know, he, one of the kids goes around with a garage door clicker that he finds in his dad's car and just is sure that there's something going on. And his a car a garage opens and that's his dad's car in there. And this and is Sam, was, Sam Levine's character, Neil, yeah, correct? Yeah. And it's so heartbreaking the way it's told. And we're going through the process with him. Oh, yeah. And that's the first sort of story that we broke. So it was, it was a very sort of honest, you know, atmosphere. I mean, you were just, you just, that's how it was. And, and, and Judd would constantly say, we would write a scene and maybe it would be really funny. And you go, that's great. Now write the real version because it's going to be better. And I'm like, what is this? He just said, this is so funny. He's so right. That's the best advice we've ever gotten. Like, what's the real version of the story because it's always going to be funnier and better and he was right sounds like that's something you tell yourself now even to this day as oh, you're yeah. writing it's, it's like that voice is always in your head it's that voice is always in our head yeah. mm -hmm. and he's and we got there and it was such an atmosphere of um you know the actors you talk to the actors it was a very free-flowing thing like yeah we'd write something then say how would you say it and it was very mm -hmm. much if we believed in it let's go with it you know, they were very much about like, if we love it, let's go do it because mm -hmm. it's probably going to be an uphill battle. And it was the whole series. Starting in a creative environment where you're being told like, right now, write the real version. Obviously, you've continued to write many, many things. As you've gotten older, do you find that to be more difficult? Was that easier in your youth? Um, you know, as we get older and we have family and the real version is like, real, real um, right. in adulthood. Uh, how have you carried that piece of advice into your writing in later years? I think you just, that's it. Like it's just in there now. So it's, it's, you have got to write. And I, I constantly tell this to people when we get scripts, it's like, this is great. What's the real story? Because all of us have a really great story in us and probably hundreds of thousands of them. I mean, we just really probably have really great stories and we just have to tap into them. Mm -hmm. And I think that along the way, it's let's, no matter what other people say, we have to try and do the real version. And, you know, you sit there and you go, there's a lot of times you will try to do the real version and you won't be allowed to. So mm -hmm. this, this does happen as well. And you sort of have to, you know, understand that there are battles that you're not always going to win well and you guys did write the real version of freaks and Ge in freaks and geeks and the truth is this is at a time when must see tv was on nbc right so it's oh, uh, the biggest thing will ever. and grace friends and none of those those that's very heightened it's all very it's they're wonderful shows but it's extremely heightened and you guys went the exact opposite and went yeah. really real to the point where some of the episodes were a gut punch it right it, it really pulled tugged at the heartstrings 
And you did receive a lot of feedback from the network. There were a lot of no's. It was a push-pull. What is that experience like when you know you have such a gem and you know that someone is also maybe trying to tweak it in a way that doesn't resonate? Well, let me give you a little, um, an idea of what it was like. Uh, Just being there, I never wanted to go home. Like, I never wanted to leave. Like I, I, Being on set. Yeah. I had a girlfriend at the time who never saw me. We were so connected to telling these real stories. And the network, you know, some people in the network were huge champions of the show. They loved it. But the person at the top uh, was not crazy about it. Sure. I'm sure some part of him thought it was interesting, but it wasn't going to be a big hit in his mind. Mm -hmm. And so we were there, you know, every day trying to make these these real stories and movies every week. And we just kept it. You just kept sort of getting beaten down. It just it you just you'd continually get something like they didn't like this or they didn't like that. But as Judd and Paul have said many times, it's like, we're not going to let you mess with this show where this is this is the show we're telling. And if we go down, we go down the way we want to go down. And that was Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, to see your, you know, your bosses pretty much and your leaders, you know, have that attitude. You just want to fight for them. Like we're going to do the best job that we can. And I think the actors felt that as well. And everyone just wanted to make, you know, a great show. I I feel like you couldn't, like, I don't think that show could be made today set in this time period with technology and the digital distractions that we all have. Do you look back as I would assume, yes, just even by hearing you, that's such a blessing to be able to have that creative space of true storytelling without having to do like a text bloop coming into the corner to make it realistic as to how, like how young people interact with each other these days. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's also, you think about you know, when you met your friends, you met your friends. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. like texting them and there was no such thing. So you you just sort of, you know, you, it was, you know, the fear. The, the, the One of the things that I think in the documentary about the show, there was a note. It's like, basically, you know, if you just put them all together, it's like, when's the geek making out with the cheerleader? And of course, our thing was like, well, that's, that's not going to happen. But uh, our experience was you'd sit next to a girl and maybe your knee touched her for a second <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, what did happen there? What did that mean? Oh my God, does she like me? Is she thinking that my knee accidentally touched her or is she thinking that my knee might have touched her on purpose? My and, hands are sweaty just thinking yeah, about those just, moments I mean, of you. Yeah, I'm just like, oh. Exactly. It's so that visceral. Was it. it takes you there. It takes yeah, you and, to that moment. And that was the craziest thing. And, you know, Joanna Garcia uh, played Vicky, um, and might have been named after someone from Wilson High School, but oh. um, not sure. <laughs> Wilson's but a local Long Beach High School long, for those listening. <laughs> long Beach High School, but there were moments, and and there's often when the show went around, and people would ask like, "Where do these stories come from?" You just give the tone, and my my story was always, you know, I like this girl in school, and my friend said, "Don't." write her a letter just write her like two lines like i'm gonna have a party next week or maybe come to my party or something like that. and of course i wrote her a three-page letter <laughs> and i gave it to my friend to give to her a mean cheerleader intercepted the letter and read it to the entire girls locker room oh, man. 
and that's where it shows. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that and silence that's and that yep, feeling yep. is where <laughs> yeah, that show comes from. <laughs> so that's where, and, and it was very funny because I called, we were shooting a show at Wilson, like we were shooting a show, and I called Joanna Garcia and I said, I'm right here where it happened. Oh, I'm right wow. Here. And she oh was like, gosh. I want to come down. I want to come down. <laughs> was, I'm uh, realizing I've never asked you this, Gabe. Um, hmm. Was Maureen Sampson, the character I played on Freaks and Geeks, was she based on anyone's childhood experience or anyone? That, I, I can't remember at the moment, but I bet. I mean, you know, the new girl coming in, I mean, it's, there's so much to that episode that it's, it's one of my favorite parts is sort of at the end where. Maureen sits, as you know, you sit with Joanna, you sit with the cool girls. Right. And two kids that aren't popular who had, you know, a glimpse of talking to someone who's popular. And it's like, you're taking their whole everything away. It's like, and and that line, I can't, whatever you said, it's like, I'm just going to the other table. I'm not right. moving back to Florida. Florida. Is the funniest thing ever because they're just like, and just remember that they don't mean everything they say they do. <laughs> yeah. And like each kid has their, their, each geek is saying, you know, all these things and just like passionately going, trying to look out for you as you're going into that horribly mean world. Wolf's den the over there. Yeah. Right. And it's so well told because then it cuts to the to the table of the geeks and it's silence. And then you just hear someone crunching a chip and you right. just know <laughs> that your heart is breaking. And it's just yeah. so, so well told. And then and then just the, the testament of what that show was is the music that we had. You know, Judd and Paul were able to send the, send it, send this the rocket scenes with you and the boys to Billy Joel and Billy Joel said yeah okay and, and like that's it, crazy it's crazy and they did that with neil young and they did that with sticks and and it's it's really fun because over the years i've been able to run into some of those musicians and we talk about it it's just amazing you know sticks especially was like you know what that song meant and and yeah now so much of storytelling is through music. How are, did they just, is this a, a blind submission where they just send the episodes to the artists and, and try, or what is that process like? That's something. So Judd, thankfully, um, had amazing connections and his reps also did. And I think he had no problem and he believed in the show so much that he was going to send it to everyone that, you know, and yes, we, we had, you know, you know, Mike Andrews scored the show in, and really gave a sound to the geeks and the freaks and amazing uh, musician on his own. And then for other music, we would, you know, they would just get these amazing artists to let us use their songs, which yeah. was incredible and just made the show better and better. So we're and excited for about those that. freaks and geeks fans listening, Gabe makes a cameo in an episode. I make three cameras. Oh, you make three. Okay, oh my goodness. Just, okay, wait, tell us. Tell us. Uh, <laughs> yes. And many, many agents contact me about acting, but <laughs> I turned them down. I just said, that's enough. Well, that was it. That's all I wanted to I do. I was referring to your drumming <laughs> in the episode of yes. I'm, with the, I'm so, with the Band. <laughs> uh, yes, I did play the drums in I'm With The Band when um, Nick, Jason Siegel's character, comes to audition. I'm the drummer that he sees playing right before he walks in. And Jeff Judah, my writing producer part plays the sound engineer. So he is, he is on the sound. And then I made another cameo uh, playing the drums for Mr. Rosso's band. Oh, right. And then they get when, the fake IDs. When they get the fake IDs. And yep. And then the last one 
was in um, the Tuba Girl episode. Uh, Again, drumming? No, I was just sitting and Jeff... Okay, so Jeff (laughs) Jeff was in that episode. He was the chef, okay? And the powers that be were a little upset about that. It was easy to cut around, but Judd was like, he can't be the chef. Because he's the sound engineer oh. for Dimension. <laughs> it was so good. And it was it was so the right call. But we were just laughing, going, oh, wait, he could have two jobs. Like, like, no, 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 no. Making backstory for <laughs> yeah. these characters. Yeah. Yeah, sound engineers, you know, they got to have a, some Some have to have a second yeah. job. So, absolutely. like, that, that plays. Yeah. I think that's absolutely true. But it was. It was so fun doing it, and the and the it was such that was the craziest family ever. It was just the best, you know, from the writers to the actors to the you know crew. It was just great. I feel that though, like Hollywood can often be compared to high school in itself. Yeah. You know, you come out yeah. here, and then there there's it can definitely when you reach certain levels, it can feel like cliques and and you know entertainment parties can be very intimidating and can feel like a lunchroom cafeteria. Yeah, at least. definitely. So that's how any function I've ever been to feels like for me. Um, And so did you feel like at a certain point that you were the one being invited to the popular kids table and, uh, and what that transition, what it might've felt like only after. Yeah. So like now, (laughs) now it's (laughs) like, I mean, when kids come up to me and they're so excited that they just watched freaks and geeks for the first time during the time we were we were just the geeks we were. I mean, we were we were doing a show that no one was watching. And the <laughs> network was taking the show and moving it around. And there was no way people were gonna there was no traction. I mean, in the business, yeah, people were interested in us doing more stuff and and things like that. But it was just, you know, we were not the cool kids. I think after that, it was like we had a lot of offers to do stuff. And then the craziest thing is. We, we then co-executive produced Just Shoot Me. And the entire time <laughs> we keep going is, oh my gosh, please. I hope they've never seen the script. I hope they've never seen that script that we originally <laughs> submitted years ago to get our first jobs. And thankfully they had not, but that was a great experience. And then we felt, oh my gosh, we're on a Thursday night hit show. You know, there's a band at, at show night and there's <laughs> all this, you get all the, it's crazy. You just to experience that. And, um, it was, that's when you sort of felt, oh my God, this is, this is really great. This is really fun, but it wasn't during freak. So we just loved it. I I think that it was so painful as it was going down and the ending was shot three episodes before it was actually over because just to make sure there was an ending. Just quickly, what are like having those two big pivotal experiences of, you know, just comparing it to like sitting at the cool kids table and then being the freaks and geeks <laughs> with their chips, just trying to be like, what is right. it like over there? Um, what are things that you appreciate or, or that, um, of, of both scenarios? Because I think it can always be this grass is greener thing. Yeah. I, I think it's telling real stories. Like that's where it gets down. It gets down to that. And sometimes, you know, like after <laughs> the writer's strike, when we, um, we brought back 90210 and trying to tell real stories in a behemoth that's a product and a brand and things like that. That's not going to happen. I mean, it's just not going to happen. It was the, it was, it was very hard because we wanted to, 
we thought, oh my gosh, you got, we've, we've cast the show and let's put in some of our characters. What a cool thing. I mean, this ridiculously rich, wealthy backdrop and then bringing in some of our geeks like that are exposed to these kids. It was great, but that was not, they did not like that. And you know what, to, to, to you know, their credit, maybe they were right because it went a hundred and something episodes and, and, you know, it did very well and it had nothing it, like we did the first season, but it had nothing to do with us. They, they really knew how to, how to get that thing going and it, it worked. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. And we're back. Right. So 90210 was brought to you and you stepped outside your comfort zone. You did something you hadn't done before in the sense of you wanted to tell the true stories. And then this was a little bit more heightened. And Judd gave you some great advice, right? When you were trying to make this decision. Yeah. So we said, what? Like we would, this, uh, we're not going to, you know, I mean, this doesn't seem like the right move. And um, so we just kept struggling with it. And UTA was like, no, this is, this is the right move. And this is why. And they had really good arguments and they had, um, the reasons were like, it's a no brainer. I mean, and, and it was really like, look, if this is successful, then maybe some magical check will come out of the blue, you know, years and years later. And I think it's something that you guys would be great at and you know, blah, blah. But Judd sat us down and said, look, this is a business. Okay. And this could really pay off or you can do other stuff and maybe you don't want to work, you know, for a bit, or maybe there isn't work for a little bit and there'll be some money. And, and if you don't like it, it's a, it's a blip in the road. And, and we listen to that, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that, you know, he's, he's done so great 
you know, his, his advice and just sort of seeing how he works and the way he, you know, lets that rope out and you can either hang yourself or <laughs> pull yourself up. He's like one of those people that just, you know, here, you're going to do this now. You're going to run this now. And you're going, how do you do that? You learn quickly. <laughs> That's what you do. You just, you learn very quickly. And so after just shoot me, we went back to the family and we did undeclared. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, so nice. Like, it was so nice to be back with that team again. We could go on forever. You've done so many fantastic <laughs> projects. And, um, and, you know, one of the other ones that you and I discuss all the time is the night shift. And I know that was something that you guys really felt passionate about. And again, we're seeing a theme here. Experienced a lot of people telling you, no, this isn't what you should do. But you oh really gosh. wanted to do you and you and Jeff really wanted to do a medical drama. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So after 90210, we decided that that was our television experience. And thank you. And we were very lucky. And by some miracle, the first movie that we did was Diary of a Wimpy Kid. And um, and when that was number one, we were like, oh, we really like this. And we wrote we did the second one. And we said, we're just going to keep somehow if people will hire us is to do movies. And then Sony called and said, we would like to give you a blind pilot deal. And our agent said, the guys aren't going to be doing TV. And they said, look, we'd love them to do something they'd want to do. And then we went, hmm. (laughs) So the last thing that anyone would want us to do, coming from kids and comedy, (laughs) is a medical drama. (laughs) So we go to Sony, and we come up with this take of what we're going to do. And... They were like, huh, huh. And they were still sort of enthusiastic. Well, come up with more details and on and on. And <laughs> and so we go back and I remember this like it was yesterday. Uh, I'm at Comic-Con and Jeff is in LA and we're on the phone with the executives. And I think there were about probably four or five executives on the phone. You can't hear me, obviously. So Jeff's pitching it out and and laying out the story of what this medical drama will be. And the pitch is about, you know, maybe 12 minutes. And so at the 10 minute mark, an executive comes back on and goes, oh, I'm so, so sorry. I dropped off, but don't worry, everyone else was on. And then there's silence. No one else was on. Jeff was pitching to me. There was absolutely no one on the phone. So, um, yeah. So, like, cool, cool, cool. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah, so, good. I, I bought it. No, I was like, <laughs> yeah. um, I go, uh, okay. So then we went in for another meeting and they did everything they could to sort of encourage us to do stuff that they knew what that we had done before. Right. You know, rightly so. I mean, this is there, that's what they invested in. But we did finally pitch it to NBC and NBC bought it. And then we did four seasons. So it was, it was great. You know, you just sort of have to, because you are being told a lot of time what the atmosphere is. So in other words, with Night Shift, we were told that they only want to see blue skies. <laughs> so they don't want to do anything that takes place at night. I'm telling you. That makes sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's one of those things. Yes, we understand Mm-hmm. We understand. So mm-hmm. so a lot of times you're you're continually explaining yourself to people, even to this day. You just continually are, you know, explaining sort of what you want to do and 
you know, the stories you want to tell and you just sort of have to stick to your guns as in Mm -hmm. the story. And it might not be for anyone. And you just sort of, I always tell people when I speak at USC or any film school, it's like, you have to have elephant skin if you're going to do this. Mm -hmm. You just have to. I mean, you guys know as well. It's like, you know, you're constantly being told that, oh, you know, the story doesn't work or that story. I don't like this writing. It's, it's to this, it's to that. Oh my gosh, her hair's up. Her hair is not down. Like what's wrong? You know, it goes on and on the wardrobe. What, you know, there's just a million things that you can't really control other than to just do what you do best. Does it ever get to you? Do you have like something that you tell yourself um, when maybe all of those nose pile on a little heavy? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's times that you're, um, you get really discouraged and you're just, you know, luckily there's two people like, you know, Jeff and I can talk mm-hmm. to each other and complain about it and on and on. And, and you're shocked that you have to sort of continually pitch your stuff and pitch yourself. And this is how it's going to be. And you, to get a show on the air is so hard. It's just the, it's almost impossible when, when the odds are so against you and let's, I mean, I'll use crazy numbers, but let's say they buy 70, let's say they're pitched hundreds of things and they buy 70 and of those 70, they'll shoot like 15 pilots out of those pilots. Maybe they'll, you know, air six or seven and of those maybe three will stay on the air. And it's, that's, that's, you know, I mean, the numbers may be off, but it's, it's the idea that that's sort of, it's very hard to get there and compete. And you can't think about, you know, it's always like, let, let's attach this person and that person, that person. But you never know what the network's going to like or who they don't like or who in their heads they had a bad experience with. Or It's a crazy thing to, to get something on the air. And you just have to believe in your project as much as you can. I always feel like your job... Um when you're on set is juggling, you're juggling all these different things and managing Mm -hmm. all of it. And when you speak at SC and all these film schools, I know a lot of the the students have yet to actually experience it. And we have a lot of young listeners on our podcast who may not yet have experience in this work field. But if you have advice for them, what would it be? First of all, I, I say this all the time, but number one out of everything, is be a good person and be a nice person. Just be nice to people. Like, I think my job is to get to set the same time the crew does, get their crew call, and know every crew member's name and know something about them, you know, while that prep is going on. Get to know the painters that are, you know, all the people that aren't going to be on set. You know, the people are doing the work ahead of time. And be there when they're there. Because I don't have to be there when they're there. And I want them to know that I'm thankful of them working their butts off and doing a really, really tough job in sometimes, you know, 100 degree heat and, you know, freezing cold. And so I'm there. And and I think that getting to know people and knowing about them and appreciate that stuff goes a long way. Whether you're a production assistant, whether you're just shadowing someone, I think you can show those skills right away and people notice them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those things people go, oh, I, I'd like to work with that person. I'd like to see that person every day. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's what Judd and Paul did with Freaks is they want to work with people they wanted to see every day that were, that were nice people. 
We put out on social media just a few fan questions of people mm-hmm. that wanted to ask. And a lot of them were similar, wanting to know any of your favorite on-set um, stories. Do you have any favorite that, favorites that stand out for you that you want to share? I have so many, but John Daly. Okay. If you didn't know John Daly then, it's like he's a famous director and a writer now. I mean, he's a really huge, you know, all of them are successful and crazy, but it's so fun because John loved cameras too. So he would always take my video camera and he would just make these little films, you know, all over the set. And he went a thousand miles an hour. Like that was that thing. But I think one of my favorite, there were a lot of favorite moments. One of my favorite moments was Busy and I would always go make these little things. You know, we'd get the camera and and she would would just sort of say the thing about Busy. She just says what's on her mind. She just says it. And I think that when um, she wanted to give me a tour of her car, which was awesome. So think of all, especially you guys, think of when you first got here and what your car looked like with the big gulps and the sides and the scripts and the headshots. The actual real maps. Yeah, yeah. Yep, the actual maps. Like handwritten notes. Oh, Five yeah. different outfits always yeah. because and we were all, always and changing piled our car. everywhere. Yeah. Well, that's what Busy's car was. It was so fantastic. And, and there's a piece. It didn't get in the documentary, but I have it. And I sent it to her and she loved it. It was just funny that you know, it's, it captures that, that time of life. And, and it's like, she was like, I said, what kind of car do you want? She goes, well, I'm never going to be able to afford a car, a nice car, but I'd like to get maybe a BMW. And, and it was just fun to see like that time. And those, those moments on sets of, uh, especially freaks and geeks were those moments. It was people just, you know, starting out and sort of worried about what's going to happen next. And, and I, I mean, even on Undeclared, I remember taking Seth's first headshot and Seth used that forever. Like I did, <laughs> in fact, like six months ago, I found the negatives oh, wow. to that shot and I sent them to him and he goes, do you know how long I use this picture? He goes, this <laughs> picture hilarious. was like, so it, it was just sort of being in those, um, in those moments that is, that was amazing. And I think as far as danger, because we've never done a dangerous show as in you could get hurt until the night shift and um, things exploded and stuff like that. But I remember I was sitting there and I wanted to get closer and we were this village, parts of it were going to explode. And so I'm I'm standing there watching it and I have my my phone because I want to see how cool this is going to be. And the explosion happens and this big thing is like flying through the air. And I don't know what it is. It's it's giant. It's heading right towards me. And a stuntman stands up. And as the thing lands, he bats it with his hand. And it's huge. And he turns back to me and goes, yeah, the air conditioner wasn't tied down. It oh. was a giant air conditioning unit that was inside the tent that flew up. But it, like without even missing a beat, he just went, like, and it went down. But that stuntmen thing. are the real superheroes. Always. Oh, yeah. They don't even, they're like, yeah, whatever. I know. Yeah, which also goes to like safety on set and how oh, imperative it is. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Safety. And how yeah, it's this a was... beautiful shift now. Yeah. And there's... the funniest thing is that was the only thing that happened in the four seasons. 
And it was just crazy to see an air conditioner in midair and going, <laughs> and it was what coming is that? At you. I don't want that hitting me. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you don't. Yeah. Um, well, you've spoken a lot about the Freaks and Geeks documentary, and I wasn't mm-hmm. sure this was something we could mention. Hopefully it's going to be coming out. Brent Hodge. I mean, this this is the real deal. So I'm sure people have wanted to do a documentary on Freaks and Geeks in the past. This Canadian company led by Brent Hodge, there was so much heart in it. And when they went to Judd and Paul, I don't know how excited at first they were. They said, go over to Gabe's house. He saves everything. And so they come over to my house and, you know, they see the mascot head. They see John Daly's Parisian night suit. <laughs> Which for those who can't see us right now, they're in the background of Gabe's fantastic room. And so I had all my black and white stills behind the scenes and they just went, you've just made the documentary. I mean, we're going to use these stills and on and on. And I said, oh, wait. And I opened a drawer and I said, look, I just had, I always had my video camera with me just for behind the scenes, but not to post because there was nowhere to post anything. And they looked at it and they couldn't believe it. It was probably 30 hours of behind wow. the scenes. And they said, this is it. They said, and this, this documentary, is the documentary has, it's just fantastic. So it has. I it cried. Ha- yeah. They, they really set up the interviews to be as like the weird house and did amazing stuff. And then they included, you know, people would tell a story and then we'd have the, you know, behind Footage, the scenes the stuff. Yeah. And I just think it's um, Sarah's story about, um, you know, Millie, you know, Sarah was 15 when, and you were 15, weren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I think she, w- maybe she was younger than that. Sarah Hagen. I can't, I can't right. remember how old she was, but there was a scene where it was like, the line was something like at the table read, you know, you know what Kim Kelly does in the dark room. And Linda Cardellini is like, what are you talking about? Like what? And she goes, she does it. And Linda goes, does what? She fornicates it. The line was she fornicates. <laughs> and then she said she fornicates it. And the entire room, like, and Sarah didn't know she said anything wrong. She just felt it needed an it. She felt yeah, like it was yeah. that kind of thing, but it was <laughs> fantastic. And um, and so I have that table read. Wow. So they cut from her telling this for from Sarah in the documentary, Sarah telling the story is so sweet. And then it cuts to that. You guys have really f- I mean, you just captured childhood so well. And I feel like you have launched so many careers of kids who really were children at the time. And even for the viewers, you've really captured their childhood. So what does it feel like to have had such a impact on so many people in such an important part of their life? I think it's more because when you're friends with them, it's crazy to see them grow up like look at you have grown up and you have a child it's like can you imagine what that's that's the weirdest thing ever you were this little kid on on set i and was so, a child yeah and all yeah and all of them are you know it's just sort of thing and i think that where it really hit me was i'm close with martin star and um i was at his house and he was cooking dinner <laughs> and just that moment alone i was just like this is the craziest thing like it's just the crazy you're an adult yeah. Like, I don't, I just can't believe you're a grown up and you have a house and you're working. And so um, it's awesome. It's a great feeling. And and there is that it's family. So it doesn't matter how long you haven't seen someone. 
So if I run into Seth or any of them, it's just, it's just, it's such a warm thing. And you're, yeah. you're, you want to check on everyone and sort of, you want to see everyone, you want to see mm-hmm. everyone succeed. So that's been that. Well, before we let you go, we can't not talk about your podcast because you have now <laughs> jumped into the podcasting world just as a fun little thing. You have a fantastic podcast on photography with Jeff Greenstein called I Dream of Cameras. Yeah. So let me let me tell you about. So so Jeff Greenstein did um he did Friends. He did he read Will and Grace. Uh, what's Friends? I've never heard of that. Mm-hmm. One. I don't I'm not sure but it's going to catch on any <laughs> Okay. All right. Um and so but he's run a bunch of shows. He's a great director and he's a great photographer. And so when I got my first deal after Street Match at Universal, he was the first, like everyone talked about the Jeffs. It was Greenstein and Strauss. So it was the the Jeffs. They were both Jeffs and it was like, you got to meet them. And and so I met Jeff and they invited me to the set. It was the first set I'd ever been on in my life. It was Partners, this series. And I was like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever. I mean, I'm so excited. And then he loved photography. So we sort of started about, talked about it. Over the years, people on crews that are on his crew and were on my crew would say, got to get together with Jeff Greenstein. I mean, he's like a photographer and, and he's a camera geek like you. And you, he has tons of cameras and this went on and on. So finally, before the pandemic, like about a few months before the pandemic, Jeff gets in touch. We go, we got to get together. So let's get together. So we, we had like an hour. So we go grab lunch and we're there for four hours. <laughs> and all we're talking about is cameras. And we like the same camera podcast cast out of London, like Sunny 16. And, and you know, there's, we just were very excited. And he calls me up and he goes, uh, just so you know, we're doing a podcast. <laughs> he pretty much said, <laughs> you know, they had asked him the Sunny 16 Presents, which is a great podcast, Sunny 16. Would you do this? And he goes, yeah, me and my friend Gabe Sachs will we'll do this. And so he called me up and I said, I guess we're doing a podcast. So it's called <laughs> I Dream of Cameras and it's idreamofcameras.com. And we're on wherever you find podcasts. It's under Sunny 16 Presents. But we're on episode 15. We're not like you guys with your fancy 6,000 episodes, but we're going to get there one day. But it's really fun. And it's basically us talking, you know, mostly film cameras. And we're also, it just goes back and forth. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. Well, this has been a lot of fun. And thank you so much for spending so much time with us. And we are so grateful. Gabe. Oh, of course. You're so the best. much fun. It was, uh, it was a great time. And uh, hopefully I'll be on again with uh, even more cameras. well that was such a trip down memory lane (laughs) i feel so nostalgic my smile is so big (laughs) i just love how much you guys that the fact that your parents all grew up like you guys grew up in the same area what a small world and to also still have that um working friendship you know all these years later um and you know and we've talked a lot on this podcast about mentors and it feels like he plays like a mentor role in in your life and through your career, which is the coolest coming off a show like freaks and geeks is the birthplace of that. Absolutely. I, I 
am so grateful because he truly was back in 1999, a mentor to me throughout the Freaks and Geeks years and a little bit after. And then we reconnected when I did an episode of his show, The Night Shift. And since then, we've been able through social media, email, all of that. Um, we go to Kings games together. He's a big hockey guy. And so um, not only do we enjoy each other's company, but he is has such great advice for me throughout this career. And I think it's really important to have mentors. We talk about this all the time on the podcast, finding someone that can guide you in life and really be on your team. And he's definitely on mine. And I truly feel so grateful um, to have him. Yeah. I mean, sorry, you guys can't see this, but I can't stop smiling. That just made me so happy to have him on. (laughs) Well, and it was so wonderful to hear, um, you know, not all the time is it, is there like a job that means so much to you as an actor that also just means so it's like a pivotal moment. And, uh, it was obviously a pivotal moment in his life. Mm-hmm. And so to have that shared experience is a special thing that not everyone gets in a, in a pretty cutthroat industry. Um, so it was such a joy to finally meet him. And I feel like I got a whole bunch of advice. Like we get messages from you guys, our listeners a lot about the industry beyond just acting. Um, but whether it's writing or producing, and kind of the ins and outs of the industry. And, and, you know, Kayla, you've worked in the industry longer than I have, but I feel like it's always a learning process and right. an exciting one at that. So to have someone um, as prestigious as Gabe on today to share his knowledge and his, you know, joys and ups and downs and yeses and nos with us is uh, very much a treat, a Twizzler treat. And I know you're a Red Vine gal. <laughs> I am a Red Vine gal. <laughs> but but it was thing- a Twizzler treat for me. <laughs> One thing I do want to point out is I love his motto. That's just be nice to everybody, uh, even from every every single individual on set. Just be kind. And I think that that is has taken him to where he is in life. And I think it's such a wonderful life lesson. Before we go, I do want to make sure all you Freaks and Geeks fans out there, there's big news that the show is finally available for the first time on digital download. And that means it's available on Amazon, iTunes, Google the complete series with all the original music intact. So if you have listened to this episode and you've never watched the show, now would be a great time to do so. And also a reminder, Gabe has a fantastic podcast called I Dream of Cameras. Make sure you check it out. And we have another great episode for you coming next week. Thanks so much. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Producer, Melissa DeMonts. Edited by Katrina Henning. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. Music by Joe King. And advertising partnership with ACAST.